welcome in to Docs and Takes. I'm again joined by the wonderful David Musiaro. And David, you know, you're a huge fan favorite. Uh, that's pretty much all the feedback I've been getting lately. Well, people are far too kind. And Chase, this kind of reminds me a little bit like our day-to-day business at Doxa. Everyone knows you're a necessity, but they like me more. That is the most true thing ever. I that's We hear that, what, uh, on a daily basis, basically. I do, at least. So I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, very, I'm very happy to have Dave with me. It's a, it's a good thing for our clients. But anyways, uh, episode five, it is uh, housing. You know, as promised, uh, we're really excited uh, about this one. Um, hopefully give you all some hot takes you haven't been thinking about. And uh, actually, we do have a surprise guest. Uh, David managed to convince uh, a real estate stud. I have no idea how he got him on the show for all 18 of you. Uh, that are listening, we are in for a big treat. Yeah, we have a really good one here. I'm excited for it. Ryan, are you here with us? Yeah, I'm on. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, I was promised a larger audience, but we can work with 18. It may be 19 now. I, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> sure. Uh, uh, yeah. So uh, thanks for thanks for coming out, man. Ryan, we really appreciate you doing this for us. Ryan's a good buddy of mine here in Northern Virginia, and is part of one of the top. Coldwell Banker Realty Teams in the area. He's been recognized as Nova's 40 under 40 realtors. And honestly, he's a great person, great realtor, phenomenal family man. I can't speak highly enough of Ryan. He has turned into a wonderful friend. That's how I was able to convince him to come on and join us here today. So Ryan, welcome to Doxa Takes. Thanks. Excited to be here. Um, Okay. And before we dive in, right, as always, let me hit this disclosure. Uh, Nothing we say here is investment advice. We do not know your personal situation, your goals, or any other variable that we use to create a unique financial and investment plan for you and your family. Ryan, David, and I are just chatting, of course, and you're welcome to reach out to anyone at Docs Capital if you're interested in a tailored financial plan for you. So we got the disclosure out of the way. And to set us up for success here, right, because housing is, is big, right? You know, there's multifamily, single family, uh, many cycles that are going on um, and a lot of questions. We know that. So we're going to break this up into three parts. Uh, I'm going to kick us off here uh, with some aggregate, uh, you know, national stuff. So when we're talking like housing is doing X, right? That's national data. That's not what's happening in your market, right? Remember, housing is very, very local. Everyone sees different stuff, different anecdotal data, you know, out there. Um, but it's really good to have a context for that, for the national then we're really going to uh, utilize Ryan here, and he's going to take us into that anecdata and the micro stuff that he's seeing around the uh, Northern Virginia area, and um, kind of his his uh, his side of things, right on the agent side, right, and the the crazy year that you've seen um, kind of unfold uh, since the frenzy uh, last spring. And then lastly, David is going to close us by hitting all of those commonly asked questions, right, the ones that are on your mind right now, uh, you know, for the financial planning side. Uh, we're going to uh, to pick his brain on that and um, see what we come up with. So that is uh, that's where we're at. That's kind of our our, uh, our framework here. And I will kick us off with a spicy take. Right, uh, the housing market at this moment is actually in an upturn, not a downturn. That's not something that that's really out there too much. I don't. I, I haven't seen it at least. But that's what we're seeing in the data again, national. Um, and that is that is a broad statement, obviously a lot to unpack. So, you know, said another way, the quantity of homes demanded right now is greater than the supply of homes that we have for sale, right? And that is 
a strong market, right? A, a strong market doesn't mean, you know, prices are flying. That doesn't mean, you know, uh, other different things. It's just simply we have more demand than we have homes for sale. So, okay, where am I, where am I coming with that, right? And this is where, this is kind of this first part. Let's hit some national stuff. Uh, so backing up, right? The big thing that Docs has written about uh, before, you know, is the millennials. We get into the home buying years and that's a lot of people, right? Millennials are the same size as the boomer, sometimes bigger, again, depending on your definition. And that is a lot of homes, a lot of single family homes needed that we just simply don't have, right? Uh, estimates maybe four, four and a half, five million short, um, you know, and you have population growth in there as well, right? So it's kind of a moving target, but we're just short of homes, right? So that's the that's the big take, right? We, we said that before, I'm not gonna really go into that, that's the bigger trend. But then, right, remember that housing has many cycles, right? Because housing can go, you know, up and down within the bigger one, okay? And that's kind of what uh, we've seen, you know, post COVID and, and since COVID, right? And so that's, you know, after COVID, you had all the rate, the rates drop, and then that's when we really hit that frenzy. And everybody remembers that, right? 2020, 2021, people were buying everything in sight, right? Mortgage rates were 2.8. Prices were flying, you know, it was the, the, the hottest housing market we've seen um, in a bit with just everything flying off the shelf didn't matter. It, that drove inventory down. And so for context, okay, for everybody, in 2019, nationally, at any given time, there was about 800,000 homes for sale on the market. In 2021, there was 275,000 uh, homes for sale on the market. That's that's just a, that's a rolling number, right? That's about any given time. That's about uh, the number through the year. That is, I mean, more than a 50% decline. Just an inventory, right, of, of homes homes available to purchase. It's just wild. And that is, you know, you everybody remembers uh, the stories, right? The bidding wars and, you know, people going 30% over asking. Well, that's why, right? I mean, we took so many homes off the market because they weren't really being resupplied and you just had the big frenzy. Fine. Everybody's kind of knows that story. We're all we're all you know on the same page there. That's been well talked about. So that then comes into this last year, and that can get confusing uh, because we had obviously mortgage rates uh, fly up uh, to five and a half to six to six and a half, and um, that threw a wrench in some stuff because that's okay. What happens, right? You just made the cost of owning a home a lot higher, but at the same time, there's the shortage of homes and inventories. So like our price is gonna go down, what's gonna happen, right? So that got a little confusing. So through last summer and last fall, what we saw is that transactions basically stopped, right? You had buyers didn't buy and sellers didn't really sell. Um, and our transactions, you know, the, the volume of homes, let's say, uh, were just, it was just very, very low, right? Very low, you, you halted, uh, halted most of the market. Uh, and again, remember, I'm talking nationally. There's a lot of different locales. You know, your big COVID beneficiaries, right? Stuff like that. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to hit hit any of that. But so it's more on the national basis. You just kind of stopped activity. So when you stop activity, you know, you had all of the housing memes, right? Oh, there's a housing crash coming. Prices are coming down. Unaffordability is sky high here with mortgage rates. You know, all of that's fair. But to get prices down, right? It just wasn't going to happen when there wasn't sellers and there wasn't buyers. You kind of froze everything, right? So that was the that was the spring and the fall. Interestingly, ninety percent of homeowners either own their home outright or have rates below five percent. So 
there's just not sellers motivated to move at this point. You know, you have rates at six and a half. So moving, uh, the transaction cost of moving is now a very, very big proposition, right? So the thing is, we're talking about pricing and talking about housing prices. because That's what everybody wants to talk about. So you have to get more inventory on the market. I'm going to lay these out and then I want to hit Ryan to see what he's seeing right in the in his in his local market, because the only way for us to get more inventory, because that's the story right now, right, is we don't have enough inventory to match the buyers. Hence why I say the housing market is actually strong. One, distressed. That's usually, you know, what we would see in this particular time. Rates move up a lot. So where are all the distressed sellers, right? I can't afford it anymore. You know, we're underwater. Here's just, you know, I, I lost my job. I can't make the payments. You know, here's the fire sale of homes. That's how you get a lot of homes. Currently, though, they're not there. Uh, a data actually last week that we saw delinquencies are at literally all time lows. So our distressed sellers don't exist. Right. So, yes, mortgage rates have gone up a lot, but that hasn't actually given us any distressed sellers. So, again, that's a, an inventory bucket that's just not there. Second cohort, right, which is a little outside of what we're talking about today. But the third way to get more inventory is, as you would imagine, let's build them, right? Home builders and builders are very much in a sweet spot right now. Um, we just went through some earnings, Pulte Homes. Uh, they said they're not seeing any really re credit restrictions at this point. April traffic was good. They're actually reducing incentives and buy downs on rates because they're seeing good demand. DR Horton's been saying the same thing. Um, they're seeing a good stabilization in demand, you know, at higher rates um, from the fall, faster than expected. The thing is, guys, like as home builders really learn from 08 and they're not chasing quantity, they're chasing margins and they're not going to change that formula, right? So they're not just pouring new homes in the market. They're kind of uh, picking their spots, getting a margin on it um, and, and doing their thing, right? So that and that's you can see that in the stock market with with the home builder stocks, right? It, it's it's amazing to say. Home builders are close to highs when mortgage rates have gone up, you know, 4%. So without one of these breaking, inventories are going to be constrained. So prices hold up. Demand is good because of demographics and other things. We have a shortage of homes. That means strong market, right? So that's that's the, the very high level overview. Just to walk through the, the take there, fine and good. Um, that's just really a lot of me talking. So now... Uh, let's try to kind of unpack some of that by uh, hitting our special guest, Ryan, and saying, what are you seeing on the ground? How do you feel about most of that? That's, you know, more national stuff. Are you seeing that in Northern Virginia, right? Are you seeing those trade-up buyers? Are they there? New homes, you know, relocations. Ryan, floor's yours, man. What you got? Yeah, thanks, Chase. Uh, that was great summary of, of what's happening in the housing market and um, a lot of what you said is directly applicable to the Northern Virginia market where I work. Um, so a little background on on that. Uh, you know, I, my office is in Fairfax. I cover the Northern Virginia from Arlington to Warrington and everywhere in between, pretty much. All the demographic changes that you mentioned and low inventory has been the story for the last many years. Um, it just made even worse by the pandemic and interest rates and like you said that the 90 percent stat you had was great because that's the biggest thing i i'm hearing from my clients that are potential sellers mm -hmm. right now is hey you know we would sell but why am i going to leave a two and a half three percent interest rate to go buy something at six and it just 
uh, unless you have to move, unless you're really motivated to move, you're probably not going to move if those are the incentives lined up for you. So what we're seeing here is, like you said, low inventory in the month of April. Inventory was down by a third compared to a year ago, um, April. And compared to 2022, which yeah. was hot. And it, it was wow. hot and it was wow. it was low inventory then. And we've been talking about low yeah. inventory for the last yeah. five to eight years here in, in Northern Virginia. Uh-huh. So w- what I'm kind of seeing on the ground here is it's really, what, what I say, it's a tale of two different markets. And because of the low inventory, and, and the high demand, you have homes that are that come on the market and they're in good condition, move-in ready, and priced appropriately, or even below what the market value would be. And those are gonna go fast, right? They're gonna be gone probably in the first weekend with multiple offers, over asking price, a lot of people waiving some or even all contingencies to get the house. And then you have the homes that are not, not like that poor condition, not updated, um, not move-in ready. And those, even in a very low inventory market, tend to sit. So when, uh, for, for your audience that you know is very savvy and probably follows a lot of market statistics, I'll share my favorite statistic to track with uh, when it comes to inventory, which is, uh, it's called the absorption rate, or you, you hear me talk about it as months of inventory. So what does that mean? The months of inventory, the absorption rate is, how many homes are on the market right now and what is the rate at which buyers are buying homes and that tells you how many months it's going to take for all the current inventory to sell out right assuming no new homes come on the market so uh, a historical average of that is about five to six months of inventory is considered a balanced market now i've been licensed for 10 years i've never seen a market in northern virginia with with that much inventory um, 10 years ago, uh, we had about three and a half months of inventory and it's pretty much dropped ever since. Um, so we've gotten down to under a month of inventory for the last couple of years here in Northern Virginia. Uh, just pulled the numbers this morning. We're at 0.6 months of inventory in all of Northern Virginia. Wow. So, um, and, and the, so you said that you have your good quality homes, you know, and those will go, you know, those are your immediate sales, you know, yep. fair enough where right? we, we all get that. For the bad ones that sit, right, as you said, if you think back to last year, so I'm talking like peak frenzy, did those did those still sit? Or, or have you seen those sitting longer now, whereas, you know, in that frenzy, like those would move too, it just took like a little longer. Yeah. Whereas now yeah. they're kind of sitting for a while. What are, you, what are you seeing there? Well, it's either it's either condition or price, right? Uh-huh. Um, and you could say, you could argue marketing as well. What marketing is the realtor doing? But condition and price are the two big things. So if it, if it was not a pretty house, but it's priced appropriately, it's still going to move really quick. Um, I've seen I've seen lots of uh, investor specials, as we like to call them, homes that need uh-huh. a lot of work. You know, if they're Fair listed enough. listed well, they'll get five or ten offers or more still and and sell right away. But um, if they price it, you know, too high at what the updated homes are, are going for, that's going to sit for months and months and, and probably never sell unless they have a drastic price reduction. So. Um, here's a cool statistic that, that we, we like to look at and it's of the homes that are selling right now in 30 days or less, the median number of days it takes is five of the homes that sell in 30 days or less median is five of the homes that sell in over 30 days. The median is 74 days. 
So you're either in, you're either right. in good condition, price appropriately, and you sell, or you don't. That's pretty much right, the story right. until you have. And I think there's like a seven percent difference in the average um, sales price at the end of the day between those two cohorts of homes. So um, sorry, I, I, just to piggyback right on what you're saying, right? For the mm-hmm. national data, uh, the immediate sales stat, which is you know selling in five days, uh, we have that, and that is uh, actually picking up the spring, right? I mean, in the frenzy, mm-hmm. right? Spring 2022. It was off the charts, almost 30, 40% of homes, which is wild. Um, and that obviously went down in the fall, but now those immediate sales are picking back up, right? And that that's, yeah. you know, speaking to what you put a good home on the market right now, even at high rates, it's moving. Let me jump in here and join a little bit of the fun because I feel like you guys are yeah. talking without me. David, but, are you still there? I know I am. <laughs> I feel lost in, with all this information. But Ryan, can you tell us how do you look at pricing, you talked about the ups and downs. How are you advising mm-hmm. clients what to sell? How does that whole process work if someone's buying a home or selling a home so they know that they're getting good value either way? Yeah, great question. Because um, it is it is difficult to navigate in a market with such tight inventory. Like back when we had more balanced inventory, I used to say that I. I could pretty much get within one or 2% of what your home was going to sell for. Now we talk with our sellers more about pricing strategy. And, and again, you have to price appropriately. So um, w- we used to say that the market won't let you underprice a house because the demand will, will make up for it, right? You could price a home at a dollar and people are savvy. People are educated. They're going to, they're going to, compete for for that house um now we don't say that anymore so i've seen a couple scenarios this year where i think sellers price their home too low probably from their agent's suggestion to create a bidding war and uh, one client there were 30 offers on this house it was priced in my opinion probably 10 percent low and uh, I, I told my clients that so they were comfortable um you know, competing and really going up for it. They got it for $72,000 over the asking price. The house appraised for $75,000 over the asking price. So they had a price, you know, 75,000 under what it was um, going to appraise for. So I don't think that's true. Even with 30 offers, it didn't get pushed up over that. Whereas if they had priced it at that point to start with, there still would have been a bidding award. It might not have been 30 offers, might have been two to five offers, but they probably would have gotten well over what they did, right? So I think you have to price appropriately, kind of in line with what the market um, is going to think the value is looking at the recent sales. And that's where I think having a realtor to come in and help you interpret the data, interpret the comparables um, objectively. Everybody loves their own home. You know, Um, it's it's hard to to take off those rose colored glasses to get an objective opinion. Absolutely. And, and I, I want to unpack that just one second for sure. for your, your pricing and your comps, as you just said, right? So be, because since you have had these this this cyclical swing, right, and in, in pricing, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to say, hey, Ryan, in, you know, March of 2022, my house, you know, uh, the house across the street sold for this. And that's, you know, $400 square foot. Well, that's obviously what I want. And that was clearly the peak or a, you know, Hey, in November, 
right? Um, when mortgage rates were at 7%, the house across the street sold for 300. Like these are wild swings and yeah. saying like, you know, I'm going to use a comp as we price real estate usually in comps is, you know, we, we got that. I'm going to use a comp. Well, so how do you then look at kind of um, the big discrepancies of those, right? Right. Yeah. So there's, there's kind of two questions within that question. One is, um, you know, we have to sell the house twice, right? once to the buyer and once to the appraiser. So an appraiser, mm-hmm. if the buyer is getting a loan, has to go in and, and give their opinion of the value that, um, that it's worth what the buyer is paying for it. So the lender will, will loan them enough money right, right, to buy the house. So appraisers look back three to six months. So, so this, this, you know, the first few months of the year, appraisers were using values from the holidays that were, were closing, that were going under contract in October and November when interest rates were at the peak. And, uh, you know, that was not reflective of market value. So we were selling houses for more than what they would appraise for, you know, in the first part of the year. So um, with with that in mind, we take a look at, uh, actually, the April numbers came in. We're, we're back within basically 1% of where we were at the peak last year. So. Right. Fell off quite a bit, but it's right it's, back up yep. there where we were. So I, I would be pricing today. Again, this is, real estate is very hyper local, so this is kind of an overarching of stat. Each neighborhood could be different for different reasons. So you have to look at your local, your your hyper local comps. But um, yeah, we're, we're pretty much back there. So I, you're, you're pricing based on recent comps, and the challenge we run into a lot is we used to have five or ten comps give you a really good value of, of what your home is worth, a really good idea of what your home is worth. Now there might not even be a, a similar comp in the last three months, uh, or, or maybe there's right. one. And really to, for us to really hone in on what the true market value is, you probably need three to five comps is what appraisers have to use. So we're, sometimes we're going outside the neighborhood. If you're, if you're very in tune with what's going on in the market and, and, and looking either the zip code or the school district kind of outside the neighborhood, um, you can get an idea of, of, of how to price, but um, you know, you got to be careful not to underprice. You got to be careful not to overprice because I think the market will punish you if they see. You know, I work with buyers and sellers pretty equally, and I hear buyers comment all the time, "Hey, oh, this, you know, they're they're greedy. They're at the pricing is too high. They're asking too much, and that home's going to sit." Uh, buyers are not very interested in in trying to make low offers now because they they hear it's kind of a waste of time. They think that. Part of my job as a buyer's agent is sometimes encouraging them to make that offer um, before there's a price reduction. It, it's funny because if a home is priced appropriately or even a little bit low, it's going to sell for probably more than that higher priced home. I uh, just went through this scenario with with the client where they they missed out on a house that went to over two hundred thousand over asking price. This is in you know million to one point five price range, so you know more than more than fifteen percent over asking price. Almost an identical house popped up that was priced like a hundred grand over the first house, but still well under what we knew the first house was selling for. And my clients made a comment like, "Oh, they're pricing that high," because it was higher than comps, even though that still sold over asking price um, in that particular case. But a lot of the time, that overpriced home will will sit and have a price reduction, become stigmatized. So you really got to be careful about not overpricing as well. Ryan, let me jump in and ask you a quick question. Who are your buyers? Who are your sellers? Who's in the market currently today? 
And why do they pick you as their agent? Great question. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why they would pick me as their agent. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, who are my clients? You know, I don't know if this Ryan, is Ryan, necessarily... they picked you because they heard you on an awesome podcast, obviously. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> That's that 19th listener this week. <laughs> yeah, um, the 19th is calling you up. Yeah, yeah. No, but uh, so my particular clients may not be reflective of like the overall trends. I know you said we're, we're, we're lacking the move up buyers. You know, I'm 35. I, I have two kids. I just made a move up uh, move myself um, in 2021, moving from my first first starter home, town home into a single family home with my family. And so that does tend to be kind of a lot of my demographic, probably a third of my clients right now are those, are those trade up buyers uh, where we're, we're selling their house and helping them purchase a new one. And uh, another third are probably first time home buyers. Love working with first time home buyers. Um, and, and the rest is kind of a split between, you know, downsizers, investors, people who are in the DC metro area. So we have people relocating all the time. Um, so th- that's kind of my, my breakdown of, of who my, my clients are. Right. And right at this very current time, you know, as me and you talked about a little earlier, as you, you just mentioned, right. Even, even for yourself. So whether it's anecdotal for you, so the move, the move up, is it like you literally reach the limit of the space and you are like, cool, I'm going to give up my 3% and you know, I can refi later. Like, like what's, what's mentally, right. What's in your, your mind of Ed's fine. I'll refi it later. Weights will go down. It's cool. And I can give up this low mortgage yeah. or like, you know, I'm just over it. I have to have another bedroom and your clock runs <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah. Great question. Cause with residential real estate, it's not like commercial, right? It's, it's, it's personal. It's about family. Yeah. It's about lifestyle. It's about your circumstances. So couple of my my clients are either just have babies or pregnant expecting right now and they're they're outgrowing their you know one or two bedroom condo or their three bedroom town home and need a bigger space or upgrading the smaller house into a bigger house um, and they all mention the interest rate and how much that hurts you know there was uh-huh. some of my clients right now that were, were were you know this is like I think with the story of the market in the last year is a lot of people were waiting and hoping rates would, would, would come down, watching values come down. So I was actually advising a lot of my clients that weren't in a rush to um, wait out um, last last fall and in, into the winter um, to let values come down a little bit. So, you know, it's, it's always hard to time the market. You never know. But we, we seeing values come down, people were waiting for rates to fall. And then when they didn't, you know, start of the new year. You know, school. We're very school centric, so school year. You know, is is coming to a close here soon. People are like, all right, well, I guess this is it. You know, we got to make a move. We're getting we're getting married. We're having a, a kid. We're having sure. a second, third kid. We're re- retiring. You know, our kids are moved out of the house. Whatever the life scenario is that's causing this move, once it gets strong enough, that's going to outweigh the 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 interest rate difference. And right. you know, a lot of realtors were saying it. Marry the house, date the rate. You know, last year. I love that. But I, but I think you know that was a uh, that was a the the viral phrase last year. Um, but I think that's what people have kind of like thrown their hands up and and accepted now after a long enough time is that hey let's just make this move. Um, we can afford it. You know, I wouldn't ever want somebody to stretch their budget too much. But um, if you can afford it, make the move if it's the right thing for your family. Let your family situation dictate your your move not the interest rates 
you know? Yeah, makes sense. Um, and then the hope is that you can refinance later if and when rates fall down. That's more of your guys' expertise right. as to when, uh, when or if that will happen. Well, I'll tell you what, David's expertise is those life uh, situations, right? That is that is uh, right up our alley in, in financial planning. And so I think that's the absolute perfect pivot, um, right, to say, all right, David, let's let's stay on that. You know, we're going to stay on that same train of, hey, it's, you know, your your life. And, and, and like Ryan said, in residential, right, your life situations, they will kind of um, negate any different, you know, interest rate things. And you kind of have to make it work, right? You need a bedroom. You've just got to make it work. Um, so, uh, David, to, to go over on, on the planning side, right, for the individuals and, and families and that 19th listener, uh, what are you kind of hearing? Like, you know, the good, hey, should we just rent, right? The rent and own combo, obviously, that's that's a well-talked about one, but it's relevant and it's it's more relevant you know now than ever just for our rates going to come down like ryan said are we going to wait it out right um how we how was uh how are you thinking about that that's a great question for our clients we always do a financial plan first so i know everything about their life their lifestyle whether they're getting married having kids have kids moving back into the house parents moving into their house they want to downsize there's a whole lot of different scenarios out there but let's kind of start it at the beginning you say you're graduating from college you're going off you're going to rent your first home and it's like well should i rent should i buy i got a great job i'm making good income but there's a lot of questions people need to ask themselves right before buying a house and looking at whether they want to rent or own is how long do you plan on staying in that house? If you're only going to buy a house and we have some military clients who are going to be in a station for one, two years, is it worth buying or is it worth renting? I'd say I'd lean more towards the renting side of things just because the way mortgage payments are stacked up against you in terms you're paying more interest at the beginning. The rates, I don't think, really have a huge factor in that because if you're looking at you got to look at your personal financial picture first. Do you have student loan debt? Do you have credit card debt? How does that play into whether you can afford to buy a home or is it just, hey, I can make those monthly payments? Because the second you buy a home, guess what? Your HVAC system breaks. Who's paying for that? It's you, the homeowner, but it's not you, the renter. So there's extra expenses and people don't necessarily always have enough money saved up to be a homeowner. So there's a lot in that timing for you as a personal financial plan needs to get done so you know when's the right time to buy versus to rent. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, it sounds like you and Ryan are all synced up on this. Uh, life situations dictate uh, uh, homes, right? Uh, but, you know, that is that is true. I know we, we tell people that, that all the time, uh, even though everyone wants that black and white answer, right? To follow that up, we have the whole interest rate question, right? Because I, I know that's what everyone wants to talk about. You know, you had, you know, your rates at 2.8 and now rates are at 6.5. And what is that doing to the market and, and rather our clients, right? What What is the questions that we're getting and how is that changing kind of the mindset, right? Of, um, and really what I'm getting at too is the investment properties, rental properties, right? Stuff like that. So Ryan, what kind of questions are you hearing now, you know, that, that maybe you weren't hearing when, when, when rates were really low. Yeah. I think when it comes to investment properties and people starting to think about building a real estate portfolio in the Northern Virginia area, at least 
questions I get are, are usually around cash flow and like what is a good investment? You know, there's all these rules of thumb for investing that have to do with cash flow. But, you know, even even before the pandemic and before interest rates really jumped up into the sixes, it was difficult to find a, a good cash flowing investment property in Northern Virginia. And so a lot mm-hmm. of people have hung their hat on, okay, well, it's a great area. We're, we're well insulated from economic downturns. We've got the government, military, contractors, uh, you know, good school districts, right? And they hung their hat on appreciation. So I guess my question for you, David, is what do I tell my clients that, that ask me about this? Hey, you know, if we can't get a good, great cash flowing property, is it wise to bank on um, appreciation or what criteria should people use when looking for an investment property? Well, the first thing you should have them do is give me a call at Doxa <laughs> Capital so we can do a financial. <laughs> so we can do a financial plan plug. for Great them. plug. Because when doing financial plans for individuals, everyone to reach their goals, the purpose of their assets, right? They all have different targeted rates that they need to achieve. Some people it might be two, three, four percent. Others. It might be 10, 12 based off of saving habits, spending habits, and what they currently have, right? So doing the financial plan is step one every single time. And from there, right, we can understand to get to where you want to, then what is the target or return that we need? So what I would say is when making those decisions on buying an investment property, how do you calculate that, right? You talked about there are so many different ways to look at cash flow, but cash flow is also very important to the overall return. You also want to make sure you are not taking too much risk when buying an investment property for yourself. You want to make sure you're in a good, solid financial footing. And then appreciation is always a tough one where I would say looking and talking to realtors like yourself, what is going on in that area, right? How, mm. what can we expect to see our metro lines being built, like going out to Leesburg that happened a few years ago. There's work going on up in Maryland currently. What's going on in that area that's going to drive people to be there? Is it schools? Is it redistricting? Is it jobs? Where I live, we have a hospital that is expanding left and right. Mm. So people are moving there for the jobs. And that's the what you want to look at. The appreciation, I feel like, is always the kicker. But you want to make sure that the cash flow meets your minimum needs of your target return. And then the appreciation that could potentially come from using your expertise, knowing the area and knowing what's going on is the added bonus, right? So this way you get paid for the illiquidity of a home because we can buy and sell stocks, bonds, pretty much at a snap of a finger. So when looking at investment properties, you want to make sure it marries up to the targeted returns you need plus uh, those kickers from the appreciation to get you uh, that's the risk of avoiding the risk of illiquidity because you can't just sell a house mm. today or tomorrow. You could probably tell us, hey, the quickest you've sold a house recently, start to close might be two weeks, but most of the time it's 30 days, if not longer. So, Right. And uh, as David keeps saying, the rate of return that you need, right, or, or another way to say that's a hurdle rate and something that I'd be remiss if we didn't call out, right, because that's the, the, the point of given these updates and for, you know, an economic podcast, the hurdle rate right now, meaning what can you get risk-free 
i.e., what can I get you right now in our money market fund is four and a half percent. Last year in March, it was 0.2%. That's a very, very different hurdle. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say that is because then to, to Ryan, and I'm sure Ryan, you can speak to this as well, right? Your investment uh, buyer flow should have, I'll put words in your mouth, fallen off a little because the hurdle rates higher, in which case you have, you do have to have, you know, better terms basically to clear that, Hey, I could get four and a half percent of money market. So why am I going to mess with tenants? Mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, investors hadn't been a a big uh, percentage of my clientele, but as I get into my career further, um, it's becoming a a larger segment and I have seen some of that. And, uh, on the other hand, I have seen, uh, an influx in institutional investors uh, coming sure. into the market, buying investment properties, because generally when the public panics, um, that's a good time to invest. And I think if you look at some what some of the smartest people in the country are doing with their money, and that and a lot of them have been taking it out of the market, putting it into investment real estate um, in a high inflationary time, because um, they know that real estate is a great hedge against inflation. Right. Um, I've been seeing a lot. So I think the, the types of people who are investing in real estate is, has changed a little bit. Um, yeah. The other thing you mentioned, like the, the hurdle rate of, of four point some percent. Um, one thing I always tell my investor clients that I think a big mistake people make that they leave out of their calculation is um, vacancy and maintenance. So it's like, hey, what's my mortgage? What, what rent am I going to get? Just build in a five percent vacancy rate and a five percent maintenance rate. Again, you can tweak that yep. based on the condition of the property. But um, you know, if you forget to calculate that in, that wipes out five percent of your profits. If you just you got to assume you have some vacancy, exactly. Yeah, people forget that all the time. And and I will I will tell you from the institutional side, uh, you know, coming from from finance land a little bit, uh, that makes total sense because commercial real estate is uh, you know and many, many markets dead in the water. And that's a lot of institutional money. And as a good way to sum up this whole thing, as we talked about at the very, very top, uh, the demographic flow for single family homes is real and is not going away. And that is uh, that is still there. And that's a good backstop, right, to have. So institutions do sure. know that. They know, you know, CRE is is not there. So you, you absolutely, that makes sense to me, Ryan, what you said, I can see a lot of institutional money flowing away from the CRE going in a single family because you have a backstop and, and that is big. That's important. So, uh, cool. Now we had, you know, 45 minutes on single family homes. Let's do another 45 on multifamily. So no, I'm kidding. <laughs> we will stop it there. Uh, that was only single family. We did leave out multi. It is a big part of the market, but obviously we will not bore anybody any longer. Housing is complicated, man. There's probably a billion podcasts on it too. So this is just going to be a billion and one, I guess. But it was an absolute pleasure. I love talking to you guys about it. We could go on for you know hours, like I said, uh, have some beers and, and keep talking. But um, we will end it there. The 19th listener is about done with us. Um, any uh, final thoughts, David, Ryan? And Ryan, also tell um, people where to find you. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I love what you guys always say that everything that you do has to start with a financial plan. And that relates to what I do. And I think a big part of of the reason why people generally do really, really well working with us is because everything we do starts with a 
home buying consultation or a home selling consultation. So, uh, you know, I just find when people are educated on what's going on in the market, when they're prepared, uh, they can think about things that we discuss with them ahead of time and, and can, can properly prepare themselves to win as a buyer in this very competitive market and to win as a seller. Uh, that's going to lead to lead to success when, when we meet that opportunity. I would say if you're if you're interested in making a move sometime soon, feel free to connect with me, reach out. We can set up one of those um, home buying or home selling consultations. So if you want to uh, connect with me, you can reach out to me on my email, which is ryan at damonsellshomes.com. And if you're just curious as to what I'm up to, you can follow me on Instagram um, at the Realtor Ryan Nicholas on Instagram. You can find Love me it. there. Perfect. Well, Ryan, man, it's been such a pleasure. Uh, David, any uh, any final thoughts there? No, I think that's going to do it. We're kind of running up on time and probably a few less listeners as we've gone <laughs> through this. But Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. I think the insights of the local market here in Northern Virginia is extremely valuable. Chase, appreciate doing this as always. Uh, the national stuff is very fascinating how the market in itself is shifting from month to month, season to season. And week to week. Yep. It's and crazy. Don't worry on time, David. We'll just cut all your part out. It'll just be me and Ryan. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you in a month. Bye, everybody.